love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Woman Podcast. I'm Haley Chura, and I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski, back from Sweden, from uh, swimming and running through the Stockholm Archipelago at the One Water Race. Alyssa, in case any of our listeners are tuning in for the first time, like tell us what you've been up to. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that is a big question. Yes. Yeah, so I am now home for the past two days. I, last week traveled out to Sweden um, to race in the one water race, which is a endurance kind of swim run adventure race. And it is intended to be a race from a, the northern point of the archipelago in Sweden, um, a little place called Arholma, down to Landsort, um, one of the southernmost islands in the archipelago. And the total distance there is somewhere in the realm of like 250 kilometers and swimming and running, you end up with about 50 kilometers of swimming and then 200 kilometers of running. And so this race is, that is like how you traverse from the Northern point to the Southern point and, uh, an added kind of, uh, gift, I guess, of the race is that the course is not outlined. There are checkpoints defined throughout that route, but the exact course you take is up to you and your team. Um, and you navigate using map and compass. So you are on a team of four people, one support crew person who is on your safety boat and can meet you on land. And then three of you are, um, racing and it has to have one female. So it is mixed teams, um, that, Will, that are racing. And this year there were seven teams uh, from kind of around the world and came out to race the one water race. And spoiler alert, only one team, Haley, one team out of seven finished in 59 hours, 59 minutes and like 37 seconds or something crazy. So um, it ended up being a much tougher and it's course. a 60 hour cutoff 60 it's, hour cutoff so we're well, talking like this team finished in like with seconds to spare so it, it was technically like a 65 hour cutoff um okay it's kind of an interesting race like the uh, the guy tomas who does the course design is um he's like he's brilliant right and he's an endurance racer himself and he's been involved in sport for a long time and he really knows the archipelago so like his kind of vision for this race is that he really wants to see like what, how far he can push humans to swim run this course um, and not really be having to plan for like a stop and a sleep. Um, you know, people do, especially this year because it did go on so long, ended up napping. Um, but, you know, he really just wants to see like, what is the ultimate point that we can push people to and accomplish like this route? And so to do that, you know, he will change the course from year to year to after last year, when a team finished in 47 hours, he decided like, I think like that was pretty quick. I think we could push them further. Right. So in this year's course, he did try to make it a little bit tougher with kind of the outline of how the checkpoints were. Um, and he had in his, his vision of this, this year that he really wanted the first place team to be finishing in around 55 hours. So 
he, you know, 59 hours isn't too like far off of that in the grand scheme of things. But when you consider that he also removed three checkpoints from the course to get them there in 59 hours, right. That, um, he, he admitted that perhaps this year he made it like he swung a little too far in the other direction, um, in terms of the, the course, but also it was kind of condition dependent. I guess this year was a good bit colder than last year. It was, um, we had Southern winds. So we basically had a headwind and like pretty choppy conditions the most of the time. Um, and that all factors into, right. I think if you have favorable conditions, it can go much, much faster. You waste a lot less time, like putting on the wetsuits on and off for the cold water and things like that, if it's warmer things. So there's so many variables in this event and he really does his best to like, to try to design a race that is going to really maximize like the, um, I don't even want to say the suffering factor. That's just kind of like a byproduct of it, but he really wants to maximize like the just kind of result of like, what can we get out of these teams and like, how, how much can I get them to dig deep to accomplish this goal? Right. So, um, it's, it's a super interesting race in that matter and it makes it really, really difficult. And I, I had a really, really, I didn't have too much fun during the race, but before and after, um, I certainly have had a good time and have really like just appreciated what that event is and what he's trying to build out there. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like Barkley and except that he does want people to finish and there's a big prize purse. I think that winning team got 60 yeah. grand. I mean, so, well, so they get the whole thing. Do they get the whole, they they get the whole, the whole thing? Yeah. So if no five way. teams don't finish, like, it, you know, he wants to pay to five, but if five teams don't finish, he will just kind of like keep putting it into the pot. And so, yeah, with one team finishing, they get the whole 100 grand. So the four of them get the split 25,000 each, which is, I mean, honestly, it's like, thank goodness they get that because the freaking effort that they put in is like absolutely deserve it of $25,000. So, um, wow. I'm, yeah, I'm really, really excited for, it was team two, um, out of Australia and they were just like phenomenal. So yeah, they well-deserved paycheck for them. That's cool. And the other big difference I think was the, uh, coverage like okay are you out there are there drones and cameras everywhere because the coverage was really good on the website they had like they had some live coverage but they also had like little snippets every like three hours they had like a little package their instagram had you know like a lot of updates i was shocked by how good the coverage was yeah honestly Haley, we all were too after the fact because we went into it and again Tomas told us like his vision for it. And like, you know, he said there's going to be live broadcast and like, you know, I mean, how many times now, especially like us, right. We're used to in triathlon, like hearing live broadcast and being like, huh, like, okay, maybe a camera's with the winning team, right. Like maybe like they're just filming stuff and then kind of picking out snapshots. And then, you know, someone sitting in front of a live thing every now and then giving updates, but like never in our wildest dreams, did we realize that, when someone was embedded with our team holding a GoPro with a stick that said live camera one, it meant like <laughs> that was just fully getting a broadcast to the outside world, like every burp fart and like thing you said. Right. So, I mean, just fully, like, it really wasn't until we finished that we were like, wait a second, you guys saw like all of that, like every moment. <laughs> There was a lot. There was a lot. I mean, I'm kudos to, to that broadcast team because I think they showed what's possible in a really remote location. And 
the scenery was beautiful. So, I mean, I know you said that during the race, maybe not a lot of fun. I think that actually was a quote they caught on camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was Steve Keller, your uh, teammate. Someone was no, like, I, I think that it was, was me. Yeah. That was not fun at all. <laughs> um, but was it beautiful? Were there good takeaways? Um, and also we should say you met, you all made it to, I forgot what checkpoint and around 37 hours. Is that right? Yeah, we, we were out there for 40 hours and uh, in between checkpoint six and seven. So we we ended up traveling in the 40 hours, like um, 40 kilometers of swimming and then about 65 um, or so 65 miles, a little over, I guess, 100K of on foot. Um, so it was a good chunk of swimming. I was pretty proud of us for having done 40K um, already in that time frame. And it was beautiful. It was like, it's, it's actually, it felt kind of similar to where I am in Vermont, which was nice. And I was glad that it didn't like, you know, the terrain as we were bushwhacking around, it was a lot of bushwhacking wasn't too surprising. Um, and I really loved like the ruggedness and things like that. And I have to say there were, I think the like most pretty moments where I actually took a moment to be like, oh, this is cool was swimming. Um, like the sunset and sunrise swimming that we were doing where it was just like, you just start to see like the light coming up over the horizon and things like that. It like, it's cool, you know? Um, and there's like, it's just very peaceful out there and just so remote that it's just, it's, it's a really special place. And you can see why the Swedish people really like, um, are proud of that and want people to come race in that environment. And they want to share it with people because it's, it's really, really cool. And the reason you had to stop, I think was because you were eight hours behind the leading team. So that's how the cutoff works. It's more of a, a relationship to the first place team versus a strict time cutoff, which is interesting. I, it kind of did remind me about the, of the PTO race in Milwaukee when we're all trying to not get lapped by Taylor Nib. Um, and so that's what it felt like. Did it feel like that to you? It did. Yeah. I mean, in the days before we would, we were obviously talking to the other teams about strategy and like things like that. And it was a little nerve wracking because we, you know, there were teams returning. Um, there was the team, two teams that had finished the first year of the race last year who were returning. And it was kind of like rumored, like they're out for, they're out for blood, right? Like these two teams want to go at it and get the money. Cause again, huge payday. Right. So, um, and knowing, you know, just having raced it before and finished it before comes with some confidence and like, you know, new strategy and things like that. So, there was definitely talk in those days that worried us a bit because certainly, you know, what's the best way to guarantee a bigger pot of money at the end, right? Like oh, yeah. get teams knocked out, right? You don't want five teams to finish. So there is certainly a strategy for teams who know that or like that they're going to finish to go out hard and like hold no prisoners, right? And really try and get teams out with that eight hour rule. Um, but I think- you know, there, there's a mixed feelings, I think, from some of us about that eight hour rule. I tend to weigh on the side of like, I, I kind of like it. I think it adds an excitement to the event. I think even though that might be the strategy of some of the teams, I think that, um, you know, there's there's nothing to say that going out really hard is going to actually end well for them. Right. And I think eight hours is a pretty fair amount of time where the race is very, very um, concerned about safety and like well-being of the racers. And I think keeping us within eight hours really helps them do that job to the best that they can, because 
you have to realize like they don't know because it's navigated by map and compass. They don't know at any given moment where a team is going, you know, like they are literally with the drones, with the cameras, listening in, you know, trying to hear our discussions on the cameras, like really watching our dots on the, the trackers to figure out like where we are going next, because where we go, they're sending safety boats out there. They're sending the runners out to help like be safe, like, you know, track us and be safe with us. So there's a lot of things that go along on like a split second decision from their end in terms of making sure that we are safe and we're not getting into, you know, a dangerous situation. And if we do get spread beyond eight hours as a group, I think it's just, you know, too much resource wise to really ask of them. And, um, and I think it's fair to say, you know, again, given his vision of what the race should be of like pushing people to, their ultimate limits um, to get this. Like, I think our team could have certainly like, you know, taken a nap at that checkpoint. I think like sleep deprivation after 40 hours is a definite factor. And I think we would have been ready for like a 30 minute nap, but um, you know, and then we could have continued on, you know, but I think the race isn't about us doing it in that fashion and then finishing in 72 hours. Right. It's not about that. I think if we want to go back and do it in three days, we can book our own tour of the archipelago and hire a safety boat. I think the race is about like maximizing human capacity, basically, as he says, and figuring out what that is. And I think making sure that like a, a fast race where teams are really pushing as part of that is important. And, and I'm excited that like, he's, he's, you know, pretty steady on keeping that as part of the event. Definitely adds, adds to the drama. <laughs> Uh, how was your knee? How was your knee during this? We know you went in with an injury and you are preparing for surgery in the next couple of weeks. And so how, how did your knee hold up over those hundred kilometers of running? So it definitely didn't fix my knee, <laughs> but I am happy to say that it's not any like worse than it was before. There was a lot of swelling after I stopped and like in those initial few days, um, even through travel, really like the, it swelled up quite a bit. But um, today I did get back in the pool and it's moving much better. And like the swelling has kind of gone down to more manageable levels, which is nice. Um, I'm also happy to say that it wasn't like a limiter for our team. You know, um, I think had we really been able to somehow move faster or something like that, or had we gone on, um, you know, I'm not 100% certain, certain given the just kind of um, toughness of the course this year that it, it would have lasted. Like there's, there's just no way for me to really know. I think it felt okay for what we did, but I, I definitely think it would have been starting to feel quite a bit, you know, having to be on our legs twice that I'm not sure what it would have felt like. Right. So, um, but Haley get this. So in like the days before the race, one of the Swedish teams, um, the woman also has her knee KT taped and in the yeah. exact same way that I do. And so, you know, we're like talking and I was like, Oh, like, you know, what's wrong with your knee? And she's like, what's wrong with your knee? And I like said, I was like, Oh, I tore my, the root of my meniscus. And she goes, Oh my God, me too. No way. <laughs> I mean, Haley, what are the odds? We literally had the same injury. Right. And <laughs> there's only like 21 people racing. No. And she did it six weeks prior and she had her like, so it's still pretty new. And she had just gotten to the doctor like, you know, a week or two before and then the MRI and he like had given her the news and she was like, oh no. 
And I guess, you know, she's Swedish. So like their procedure would be to then have the surgeon appointment and find out like what to do. And she said she was supposed to have the surgeon appointment like the day before she was coming there. And she just canceled and like rescheduled it till after because she was like, I didn't even want to know like what they were going to tell me. I was just going to like see because same thing as me, like she could hike a lot. She could jog slowly on it. And it was like, okay. So she was just like, you know, she talked to her team too. And they were like, let's just give it a shot. But it was, it was like weirdly comforting to have that happen because, you know, it does, it takes away, like, you can't feel sorry for yourself. Like Annika's still out there racing hard too. Um, they ended up also getting timed out just slightly ahead of us in the, in the grand scheme of things. But, um, but yeah, so, so I thought that was <laughs> what, I mean, wow. what are the odds? <laughs> Wild world. I, is there anything, if you were to do this again, that you would definitely do different? Yeah, I think that, you know, this race, there's like, and it, you know, and we said it going into it, but I think the biggest like area for improvement is just efficiencies. Um, I mean, I didn't count the islands that we did, but I think it's like, if you do the whole course, you're on about a hundred islands, which is 200 transitions. Right. And if you spend one extra minute, two extra minutes at those, right. I mean, that's tons and tons of time. That's hours, hours and hours. Right. So if you're already a team like that, isn't, you know, that is kind of on that bubble with the eight hour rule, like your efficiencies have to be spot on so that you're not losing extra time. Um, and I think there's plenty of room to make up, um, you know, like make up time with that, with strategy of like how many wetsuits you wear when you change into the warmer wetsuits, like what, you know, just because putting on and off wetsuits when you're (laughs) wet takes time, right? It's like not fun. (laughs) And I can assure you that my nice, like orca wetsuit that I love so much and kept me warm in the cold freezing water now, like you're pulling it on and it's like, there are holes in it now. Right. So it's like, oh, because it's just so hard to do in a time efficient matter, but there are other strategies after watching the top teams. That was actually, you know, not that I wanted to end our race early, but we did get back to the hotel and, um, like super, super late on Wednesday night. But then we had Thursday as the race was still going on to just kind of like rest and lay in bed and watch the live feed, which was awesome because we could watch then the top teams and like how they were operating, what they were doing, how they were more efficient than us and all of those things. And Take, took a lot of notes um, and definitely learned a lot because um, yeah, I think, I think I've been like bitten by the bug of this race a bit and oh, um, yeah, cool. I would, I would definitely love to give this one another shot. Do you have a best moment and a worst moment? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I think the the worst moment was probably when we realized how lost we were. We made like a pretty major navigation error um, between checkpoints. Like, and it's it's so funny. It was it felt like classic like adventure racing error. Like so many navigation mistakes are made just as the sun comes up after an overnight because you're like you're tired. You're just it's like for whatever reason that time frame is known for having a lot of mistakes made. And so and that was us. We fell like right into that trap. But um, that was definitely the worst moment when we realized like we weren't even really on the map anymore. <laughs> like we were we were far off and it was going to take a little bit of time to correct that. Um, I think that that was a tough moment because we knew like we probably were going to need that time. Right. We didn't have a lot of time for mistakes. Um, but I would say maybe the best moment it was like 
it was really fun in a way where at checkpoint six, we were like right at the cutoff. And so they were like, okay, you can have one more segment to try and like, do it. Let's, you know, do it. And, um, there was just so many people had come to that Island, like one for media coverage to kind of get that, but then to like cheer us on and to be like, guys, you can do this, like dig deep. This is your time. Like go for it. We want you to like touch the lighthouse, you know? And so, and again, like that, it's just, they could have easily been literally like, I mean, the top teams were like a 40 minute boat ride ahead of us. Right. They could have been up there watching all of that unfold and like making sure that they were going to have a finisher. And instead like to have race personnel with us being like, keep pushing, keep pushing to like the team in the back was really, really special. And I think that, yeah, it helped us really make sure that we did like leave what we had out there for the moment and like not give up. And like, it reminded ourselves of like, okay, let's not feel bad for ourselves. Let's hop back in this freezing cold water. and Keep going. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned getting bit by the bug, but we do know you have surgery on the horizon. Can you tell us a little bit about the timeline that upcoming, do you feel good going into it? Are you going to use this experience to like motivate you through all the physical therapy and just get back out there? Definitely. I think that, you know, one of my like decision-making kind of things when I was thinking about when to have surgery and if to do this race and how to do it and like things like that. Um, I, I just knew that I would be a better patient if I was able to give this race a shot and like, if you hadn't slept for 60 hours (laughs) and if I could just sleep through the whole week of rehab after the, after the surgery. But, um, you know, honestly, like I think having now been able to do that, I'm like fully invested now and like, okay, I do want to get this sucker fixed because I think like this race can be better. And I would like my, both of my legs working properly for the next attempt. Um, and so yes, I have surgery in about 10 days. I it's scheduled for September 7th. Um, it's a pretty tough rehab. I will be non-weight bearing in a straight leg brace for six weeks on that leg. Um, and with like just very limited mobility because they, they have to basically drill into my tibia and kind of reattach, um, like, sew the meniscus back, um, into the tibia to like reattach that root essentially that I tore. And I talked to my doctor yesterday and I was like, are you also going to like dig around in there and make sure nothing else is wrong? Like while you're in there. And he's like, Um, absolutely. He's like, and I am very interested to see like how much cartilage you have left because I mean, that was a question mark, right? Like when I had agreed to put off the surgery, it was a well-known risk that like I could be doing further damage to the cartilage in my knee by continuing to like walk on it and stuff. And I mean, and he wasn't saying that because he thinks I like totally blew all the cartilage in my knee, but just more of like a perspective of like, who does this? And as a doctor getting to see that, I think is pretty interesting probably for him to just see like, you know, it wasn't necessarily encouraged from the doctor side of things, but it wasn't because they had a lot of data about like what would happen in three months. Right. So I think for him, it's kind of interesting to see like what can, what does happen in three months because they, they usually just don't 
encourage people to do that, you know? Now they um, can learn. <laughs> now we can <laughs> learn. Say, yeah. say uh, good idea or bad idea. Exactly. <laughs> now there's a data yes. point. <laughs> How, um, and so what are you going to do for the next couple of days? Like, well, before surgery, as you're recovering, do you have any fun, fun things planned uh, before you're like, you know, in a straight leg brace? In my mind, I did. And then I was like, oh, yeah, my knee is still like above me. I can't like do too much, but I am going to just get out for some hikes. It's like beautiful weather here in Vermont. So I'm, you know, I'm actually like, Haley, I came out of this like with a really renewed sense of love for swimming, which is really cool. Um, You know, like I, I feel good swimming. I don't want to lose that. So I am going to continue to swim and like, just, um, yeah, continue to be like, moving as much as I can right up to surgery, because I think that the theory of like the fitter you go into something like that, the, you know, the more it'll help you for the recovery and kind of coming out of it. So that's, that's the plan. Um, and then I did get approval Haley still to be able to travel to Kona. So I will be out before the surgery even happens. Yes. So that was like, (laughs) they're like, you're going to be fine. You're good. I was like, so I have this little trip booked. Like, should I be trying to figure out a way to not be going? But the doctor said, no, like you will make it. Um, I, I mean, I'll be traveling on crutches and I'm sure it's going to be like the longest travel day of my life, but I'm really excited that I did get the approval to go out there and be able to watch. I think that's going to be like just a nice light at the end of the tunnel after those initial weeks where I have like very limited mobility, um, and get to cheer on athletes. I have racing, get to cheer you on everyone. So, um, that will be something I'm looking forward to because I don't think I will be running again January at the earliest. I think they're saying probably February is like what I should tell myself (laughs) and then be happy if it's earlier, but, um, crutch yourself out on the queen K and give me some splits. I know. (laughs) No, please be careful. <laughs> um, maybe get a little, could you, maybe, could you, you, you like have a little e-bike or something like that? Yeah. Or like a scooter or something, right? Like, I don't know. I'll make it work. I think by then I'll be like an expert on crutches. So I'm not yeah. too worried about that by cool. then. Well, a lot um, to look forward to, a lot to look forward to. And maybe this is like a new mailbag question when people ask like, how do you motivate to swimming? It's like, go swim a ridiculous amount. Yeah. <laughs> through the Stockholm archipelago and then you'll love swimming. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. Which speaking of, we have some mailbag questions. We're not going to get to one this week, but, um, thank you to those of you who have written in because we have a big episode catching up on one water. We have a great interview coming up with, uh, Mel McQuaid because we are like in Kona mode, but before we get to that, uh, I I'm assuming you didn't get to catch much of the racing this weekend, Alyssa, or did you? Not too much, but I did see results. And then I did thank you. Huge thanks to Natasha for coming in and chatting with you last week on the episode. I, I did want to hear like who your picks were and, and who was going to come out right? on top. I know. <laughs> we got Taylor and him. Um, and then I know, I, I think we're, you know, I think we, we had both picked uh like Taylor Nib, Daniela Reef, Daniela actually finished further down, but Kat Matthews and Imogen yes. Simmons rounding out that second and third. And I mean, yeah. both of them incredible. I mean, to think where Kat was a year ago after terrible car crash, broken neck, and a year later, second at the 70.3 world championship, insane. Um, Imogen similar coming back from surgery and just having an incredible four weeks. I mean, we talk about Taylor's incredible four weeks winning Milwaukee getting fifth at the Paris test event and then winning 70.3 worlds in Finland. And then, but Imogen was like barely second at the European 70.3 world championship or not world championship, 
regional championship. And then fourth in Singapore, third in Finland, man, these women can back it up week after week. It's so, so, so impressive. Definitely. And I have to say it's inspiring to see the comeback that can happen over the course of a year to someone who is just going into facing that myself. So, um, definitely good to see that, but, um, but yeah, I think I laughed a little bit when Natasha gave her picks. I think she gave uh Taylor like seven, Daniela, third and place. she listed yeah she listed like four and so I was like ah eh, who really come out on top of this it's this hard to weigh it <laughs> sometimes I'm like maybe we should do top 10 instead of top because top uh, three I mean that's why we do it because it's so hard to like pick yeah. those and I'm always like why don't I get more I thought about Imogen but then just because she's doing so well but I was like surely someone's gonna get tired but she didn't get tired um and then I... the other I was really proud of my my dark mare Katie Kavioha, who got, I think, 11th or 12th. I think she got 12th, which I was like, yes, because that's, I think, yeah. the other one. You know, a lot of times I think people pick Dark Mare as like fourth place. And I'm like, no, it's supposed to be a name. We don't know. Yeah. But we should know. So um, thank you, Katie, for for making me at least feel good. I don't know if anyone's actually analyzing our, our results there, but um, you know, I did in my head, but, uh, but yeah, but thank you to, to Natasha for coming on last week. It was fun to chat with her while you were swimming and running all over Sweden, but I'm glad you're back. Thanks Haley. And like you said, we have a great talk this week with Mel McQuaid at 50 years young. Mel, Mel became the oldest professional triathlete to qualify for Kona after her third place at Ironman Coeur d'Alene. We have this really fun chat with her, talking to her all about what went into that journey to get herself to the big island, her self-coaching, her coaching business with athletes, and what unfinished business she might have with her own racing career. And all of that and in more many like nuggets of wisdom in this one from Mel. So you will hear from her next. No matter where you are at in your swimming journey, Orca has fit for purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA. And when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. Use code IRONWOMEN15 for 15% off all items at orca.com. Hi, Mel. Welcome back to the Iron Women podcast. Thanks, guys. I'm excited uh, and honored to be uh, welcomed back. It's uh, it's great to talk with you, you ladies again. I love your podcast and what you're doing for... Um, well, for women in Ironman in general and, you know, women's racing, it's really, really cool. So thanks so much. And you are playing a big part of women's racing right now and all of the cool things that are happening with it, because we are talking to you a little over three weeks out from Ironman Coeur d'Alene, where you helped fill the podium with our own Haley Tura also up there. You took the third spot with a 55 minute swim, a 501 bike and a 320 run for a total time of 922. And in doing this, you secured a Kona qualifying spot, becoming the oldest female pro qualifier at 50 years young. So I have to say congratulations. And for those of us who have been racing with you for many seasons, I don't think it was, you know, surprising to any of us to see that you finally had that day, you finished strong, you got that Kona spot. So how did it feel for you? 
Oh, it was, um, it, it was amazing. You know, it was, it was, I was very excited to, you know, take that box and, and achieve that goal. Um, and, and it was one of those things where I didn't really think about, uh, it happening. I just sort of kept doing what I've, I've always been doing, which is, uh, just, just use that goal as a carrot to help, help me become better at executing an Ironman and, I, I just knew that if I just got better, it was going to happen. And and that's sort of all that I, you know, counted on. And so you do on social media regularly use the hashtags uh, faster after 40 and hashtag this is 50. Uh, I know that even our own editor, Lydia Russell, in our post-race recap said she was there watching and she said, you know, she was so surprised and inspired by watching you. And I think she's like 22 years old, maybe 21. Um, and, and so what has been the community response? Do people come up and talk to you about that? Yeah, it's, I, I think that, I think this is the first time that people kind of noticed, you know, that I was like getting old as like continued in this sport. Right. I, I think that that was, I, I, it was, it was definitely a moment where people were like, wow, she's 50. And so I think that that's part of the point of continuing with this is that, um, you know, like these are just numbers and, and, you know, the, the clock, like I was almost just as old last year at 49, but it was not relevant yet until I became 50. And I, I'm sure I told this story to you guys on the last podcast, but I'm going to say it again, because I think it's even more relevant now. Um, when I was 39, uh, there was a, an, an enormous amount of pressure that my career was ending. Like when I turned 40, I was going to be too old to be a professional athlete. And that wasn't just coming from, you know, societal pressure that I was feeling personally. It was like sponsor pressure and coaches telling me that at 39, I was too old to do Ironman. And like, and so I, you know, turned 40 and it was like an like I, I was so mentally defeated by that number. Like I, 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 I thought to myself, you know, like you, it's now over, you know, you're actually 40. I didn't want people to know I was 40, but I also just didn't want to retire because I didn't think I was done. But at 40, I was just, you know, I was an, an emotional wreck. Right. And then when I turned 41 and then I started winning a whole bunch of races because then I sort of got it over with. <laughs> I got the 40 over with. And then I won like I think I won three, three seventy point threes that year. And like I won a 5150 race. And then I announced that I was going to do an Ironman that year because I was like, all of this is BS. And so there was there was a totally different reckoning when I turned 50. Like when I turned 50, I was like, I am owning this. I posted a ridiculous reel. I um, basically doubled down faster after 50. Like, you know, I was just like, I don't think that there's anything about this number that is really that relevant. What's relevant is what you've been doing to like, to be strong and, and to be fit and all those things. And so I did have a, a little bit of a, you know, a before, St. George this year, I, I was talking with my partner, Mike, and I was like, what if I'm wrong? Like, <laughs> what if I go to this race and I totally suck? You know, I, I had that like performance anxiety and I had some fear of failure at that race. And he's like, he's like, oh, well, you know, would you have done anything different? Would you have not gone to the race? Like, would you like quit? 
And and I, all the answers were no. Yeah, there's there's a there's a, a whole bunch of reasons why you could get slower, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why I could I can and will have bad races um, in the future. But you know the the point of this is that um, I think that racing and and being really fit is part of having a happy and healthy and meaningful life. And for me. Um, my values are kind of like growth and health. And so I want to learn and be healthy and everything that I'm doing right now, whether I'm successful at it or not, really just like, like aligns with what my values are as an athlete. And they align with what my values are as a coach, which is every athlete has a level of talent and, and opportunity and potential that I want to find out what that is. And it doesn't matter if you decide to look for it when you're 20 years old or when you're 40 years old. And so I think it's just useful for me as a 50 year old to go, okay, well, I think you should probably be setting the bar a little bit higher. And well, I was going to oh, ask oh, real quick, yeah, but the, yeah. the biggest age group in a lot of Ironman races is 50 to 55 and maybe 55 to 59 for the age group. So do you get age groupers, you know, coming up to you and talking to you and, and, you know, being like, Hey, like, I mean, you represent probably a big demographic of Ironman athletes. Yeah. Well, I mean, Haley, when you were there in, in, um, Coeur Lane, Mike pointed this out to me, he's like, so that there's two like wows in the crowd with big claps. And one was when Chris jumped on the stage after the Ironman, do you remember that? Like all the rest of us are like hobbling over to the stage and he runs over and does this gymnastic leap onto the stage and everyone's like, Whoa, right. Like, cause it was, I was like, whoa, because <laughs> how does he still have that elasticity the next day? <laughs> so I, I, so that was like the number one impressive thing. And then uh, the second thing was when they announced that I was 50, like a lot of the crowd got like pretty much more excited for third place than really, you know, I was third. So it is true. Like there, I, like I'm definitely connecting with what is the largest demographic in, in Ironman. Um, and I, like, I think that it's, it's also just a really smart opportunity for me because it is, it is easier to extend at this age than it is to really develop a lot of speed, but that doesn't mean that you can't do both. It just means that for me at this point in my career, it's easier for me to extend like some of the speed power that I had from mountain biking in the nineties than it is for me to go back and try to recapture a lot of that. So it's like, it's, it's a, it's a calculated, um, uh, experiment <laughs> to be continuing in the, in the long stuff. And Mel in the last decade, you know, I'm just thinking kind of bigger picture about like the world we live in, right? Like it's changed so much where sponsors a decade ago were telling you, eh, you're probably like at your, you know, past your prime, you're done. Right. But now in this world, I think we've all embraced like female athletes in a whole new light. Is that something you've seen now reflect? Like I imagine sponsors are just like thrilled that you are still racing. You're on the podium, you know, I mean, is that, I hope that's the case. Is it? Yeah. I think this is the, and, and yeah, this is the first year where I've actually had sponsors come to me to sponsor me. Like I just, that now it's actually, um, it's fun to be somewhat relevant again, you know, and, and I've been yelling this from the rooftops since I was 40. I was like, 40 year old women are your women. It's not really the 20 year olds. Like we are the ones who 
amazing. Let's have some representation, right? But um, and I think now that that message is is coming through, and I'm just I'm just proud to be part of this generation of female athletes. Like I don't even know if I can count Melindy really in my generation because she is quite a bit younger. She's 50, she's 43, but still like still in my like generation of racing athletes. Um, you have women like Melindy who are are top marathoner in Canada. Like she's 43. You know, I was told at 37 I was too old to run a marathon. Right, so. Like she just basically decided, hey, I'm going to be a, a superstar at the 5K and then I'm going to be really outstanding at Ironman. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to lead Canada in a couple Olympics for a marathon. So it's just, you know, the, the, what women are doing is just listening to their own selves and, you know, following their gut and, and saying, hey, like, I'm not done now. I actually am starting to feel really good. And, and this was something that I was telling coaches. So when I was just training for my first Ironman in 2015, I was 42. I kept saying, I don't know if I need more. Like, I don't know what you're talking about with this need more recovery. I, I don't feel any different. Like it's, I don't think, in fact, like what has happened since that time. And as I've started to like build like a, a much larger aerobic capacity than I had when I was younger, because like. I like, I, I guess maybe I'll, 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 um, introduce the listeners to a little bit of my history that'll be kind of relevant in, in this discussion. Also with the Kona thing, um, is that like in, in 1993, I was a mountain biker, right? And so I was really young and I came to mountain biking and I came to it, um, at a time where there were some, uh, older athletes that were already established in the sport. Um, and like the, I, I basically would chase around like doing a bunch of road racing and mountain bike racing um, to try to make the the team with um, the national team. So I basically raced with the national team. But in that program, what happened is it really accentuated my um, like anaerobic capacity that was naturally part of me. Like that, that was my talent. Um, and so when I was a mountain biker, I was really only successful at short track. So it was like a 20 minute criterium type race. I, I won some really big short tracks. Like I won sea otter and I won like, I won some really big criteriums in, in Canada on the road, you know, but it had to be like 20 to 30 minutes of punchy efforts. Right. So like pretty much the polar opposite of an Ironman race. And, um, and so, so like I did a long time with them and then I actually got a contract and I raced on the road. So I went to the mountain bike worlds five times and then I went to the road worlds once. And then I switched to Xterra, which is again, a, like a really punchy sort of um, trail run, swim bike run, Olympic distance, but a little bit longer. So starting to stretch that a little bit. Um, and then I raced Xterra. I did the worlds for Xterra like 17 times. I did cross triathlon worlds three times. I went to long distance triathlon worlds finally in 2017 for the first time. Um, and I went to 70.3 worlds five times, but like really all during that time, um, I really was underdeveloping my aerobic system. So I think that if, if I go back now as a 50 year old and I look back at like all the attempts I made and the coaches that were advising me for, for that kind of a, that kind of a race. Um, and I, then I look at like this last block where I basically took the reins as a 40 year old and said, these people do not get me. They don't get what's going on here. Um, 
and I look at what's happening now um, in in Ironman and how I'm I'm getting a little fat a little faster. I think my potential for seventy point three is gone. I, I don't think I since I hurt my ankle in twenty sixteen. I don't think I'm ever going to run fast fast. I just haven't like it's just not very good. <laughs> it's just not very fast. But I can st- I'm getting stronger and more consistent, and so um, I think that n- like this whole experience of being an athlete and working with all these different coaches and trying like, and, and shifting myself through all these different sports and really being curious, like, like, like understanding physiology and coaching has been like a real driver behind all of this career. But at the same time, as I continued to be interested, but then also got older, I realized that like, not, not only did nobody understand what Xterra was when I first started racing that, so I had to start to learn to coach myself. Nobody understood what being a 40-year-old woman was when I was a 40-year-old professional athlete, period. Nobody did. Like, everybody thought, you're 40, you're done. So then at that point, I also had to go take the reins and say, actually, no, I don't need to cut my cut my training in half here and like, you know, go sit on the couch and like give myself some insure because I'm 40 years old, right? That's just not the case. So, so I'd say that like part of the last 10 years has not only been an, like an educational journey for me learning about how to be a great coach for Ironman, because I really wanted that experiential learning um, in order to be able to coach athletes better in the sport. But it's also been experiential learning with being a 40-year-old female athlete um, going through perimenopause and then menopause. And what does that mean for my performance? Because again, nobody knows what that is. Like, and no coaches really had good experience with, and like, I consider myself a fairly elite athlete. Um, and most of the advice out there is not for elite level or even sub-elite level, which is a lot of the athletes that I coach for Ironman. Um, and so it just became me learning from me and the athletes I coach and just basically disagreeing with a lot of what, um, is out there uh, for us, which isn't much. So you are self-coach. You've been self-coached for about the last decade. Oh, I've been self-coached since like the year 2000, probably. Um, I, I've actually being self-coached doesn't mean that I haven't reached out and had some consultation type relationships with coaches to learn from them. Um, and, and I'd say that the last four years with, I've been in a mentorship with Altus. So I think that mentorships are when you, when you actually have a relationship with a really good coach, and then you just ask some questions because it, it, it doesn't mean that he's writing any kind of workouts for me. Um, but I think at a certain point, um, the workouts are really not that important. It's the philosophy and the direction and the decision-making. So I've always had somebody that I would, well, actually like the last, the, the last few years, it's definitely been me leaning on me a hundred percent, um, with, you know, every once in a while, I'll have one of these mentorship discussions, but over the years I have tried to work with coaches and, um, they're all the years that. Uh, aren't worth mentioning. You know, I, I really wasn't that good. So, um, I think, I think it, I, I never had the chance to work with a really elite level coach. And there's a few that I would list that I wish that I had had a chance to, to spend some time working with. So I'd, I'd see their approach and understand it, but the opportunity never came up for me. And and none of the coaches I was with were better than me. <laughs> so, 
And what about as you as a coach, you mentioned going through perimenopause, going through menopause. Do you have a lot of athletes that seek you out because you have that experience as an elite athlete and you're obviously doing something right? Oh, yes. Yeah. No, I, I think certainly like the, my group skews a little bit older. I think the youngest in my group is 35. And, um, you know, the, the women in the group are definitely, you know, 40 to, you know, 60 getting in, in that range. Um, so, so yeah, I, I definitely, I think that they can relate to me because I do have that experience. But one, one thing I would say is that, um, there's a lot of information trying to blanket menopause with like, this is what you do. Right. And because like everybody it's a, it's a stressful and, and challenging time for women. And so, um, a lot of social media is trying to glom onto that, that panic and fear and say, okay, well, this is the answer for you. And I'll tell you what, as a coach, there's, there's not going to be a, a one size fits all solution for this. Like some women are just going to skate through it and not notice it's even happening period. So like lucky you, right? Like you just got the, the most talent for menopause that you could possibly have. And then others are just going to be a, just a, a shit show of no sleep and feeling like crap and, you know, you know, weight fluctuation and, and craziness that, um, you're going to have to find out what are the, the right solutions for you. Um, and I think as a coach for me, that's, that's my job is to, is to basically start helping, um, tease out what are the things that are helping, what are the things that aren't helping and, um, you know, like sort of steer the boat through the rapids because it's going to be, it's going to be a bumpy time. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it's more just the experience to, and the experience in the, you know, just the communication to figure out how to manage that, because it's not like I have some magic bean that's going to give a menopausal athlete, you know, pure relief from what's happening. Um, what I can offer is like, you know, good listening skills, um, you know, a, a Rolodex of ideas of what we can do um, and and support to roll through it, like how to how to, you know, and also like just maybe some information to to help, um, you know, wade through all the all the information that's being offered out there right now. If you had that magic bean, I think you would um, be very busy and like. <laughs> I'm <laughs> very sought after by women everywhere. Um, Mel, you talked a little bit. Of, thank you for talking a bit about your career and also for our listeners, too. If you want to hear a lot more from Mel about kind of in that first interview we did with you, we talked to about like Xterra and and 70.3 and Ironman and kind of balancing all of those a bit. So um, that's where that conversation went. But as you mentioned, um, it really wasn't until like 2018 ish that you decided to jump into iron distance racing fully with two feet, um, you know, putting a couple maybe on the schedule every season, that sort of thing. So when you started to do that, was it mostly for that goal of experiential learning so that you had that, you know, coaching tool sharp for yourself or, and, or I guess was, was Kona, you know, a priority goal when you started racing Ironman? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. That's a really good question. So, um, I think from the, from the start, it was experiential learning. So I wanted like my my I have like a list of goals as a as an athlete, and I have a list of goals as a coach. And so, uh, my my goals as a coach are to be the best coach for anybody over forty. 
Um, and also to be the most versatile coach so that you could come to me and I have like experience in that sport. I understand the requirements and I can fully, you know, prepare you for that event. So, and I really like that that is the squad I have. So I have people that mountain bike race, race grand fondos, triathletes, like road cyclists, the whole thing, because it just keeps it exciting. And then when we do group camps, it's a different vibe, you know, I just like that. And so I felt in 2018, I was, I was not strong enough in my experiential learning for Ironman. I wanted to be a much better coach. And so that's where that journey set sail. Um, partially fueled by the fact I didn't want to re retire on a broken ankle, right? Like I wanted to come back from that ankle. So I was like, okay, I need to, I need to be a little faster than this before I like pull the plug. So let's get to work. Um, so yeah, so the number one goal at the time was to be a better coach and understand it better. But then um, as we went along and, and early on, I just said, oh, I don't want to go to Kona. Like I've passed out like three times in Maui. I don't think Kona's my <laughs> right it's a little a little warm for this Canadian so um so I really didn't want to go at first and then like in 2019 in Wisconsin I was second Lindsay beat me um and so I missed that spot by one and that started my whole journey of deciding that I wanted to go and missing the spot by one because then I missed it in Wisconsin by one and then I went to Arizona and I missed it by one. and so I, that kind of kept happening um, but the more I failed, the more I decided I really wanted that, you know, it's like when something isn't, you, you don't, you want something and then it's like dangled, but just, just out of your reach, then it becomes even more that, that important. And I think that that's kind of what continued to fuel that desire. And then the pandemic happened and I got older and older <laughs> and then I missed it again by one when I went to Chattanooga and then we, I missed it again, by I don't know. I just kept missing it by one. So I wasn't going to miss it by one in Coeur d'Alene. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Yeah, I was you kind of me, hoping to like, I always, like when I when I always saw you Haley I was like I might even get this by one but no I got it just barely <laughs> no it wasn't just barely you got it you definitely um I mean it was at that turnaround when you were like I think less than a minute behind me and I was like oh <laughs> I mean I had some words with myself um that the cat got I love that <laughs> I love vocal self-talk that's perfect yes. <laughs> um, but okay. During that time when you are missing it by one and like, as you mentioned, you're getting older, did it become, did you, did, was the goal ever to be the first first, I think the first person to qualify at age 50 as a professional did, was that a carrot dangling or was it just, okay, just get me to Kona age doesn't matter. No, I think the the whole 50 thing, like they, they did a bunch of fact checking after the race. I was sort of like in the back of my mind, I was kind of like, I don't think anyone this old is doing this, right? I, I don't think anyone has done this, but it only sort of started materializing this year. It certainly wasn't like, oh, I'm going to hang on until I'm 50 and try and do something as a 50 year old. No, it just randomly, I turned 50 and randomly um, that's when I finally got my shit together, right? <laughs> I just got, I finally got good enough that it could happen. And so, um, yeah, no. And, and now I'm just like stoked, right? Because like, I think for, for all you guys that are like younger, like, actually, this is funny because I've had this conversation in Xterra with Emma Gerard when I was 40 and like, or I was 38, when I was like 38, 39, 2011 in Xterra, I was approaching 40. And this is right around the time when they told me I was entirely too old and I need to retire soon. I think, I think I won everything. 
like I won the the ITU um, cross triathlon first worlds. I think I won almost every race I entered. I won a bunch of mountain bike races. I went to Maui and I had an eight minute lead and I passed out. So that's a little blip on the radar of that one. But like I, and I won a 70.3 that year. So I was basically like winning a whole bunch of stuff and I was old according to everybody. And Emma, who was like 30, we had, we were sitting together and having dinner after one of the X-Terrors. And she's like, I'm just so thankful to have you in this sport because at 30 years old, I feel really young and I have a huge future here. Right. And so like, if you think about that, like now I've just decided to not retire. Now I'm 50, you're 40 in Ironman. And you're like, oh, I'm just a spring chicken now. Right. Because there's me, there's Didi, who's two years older than me. And like, we're we're doing great. Crush you know, it. so it, like, it just takes the pressure off to like, like thinking that 40 is too old for this. And here's the thing, like there's athletes in the sport that are in their twenties that are doing awesome, right. That are really fast, but they've probably also been training since they were 10. So I think that your age is irrelevant, really. It's your, your, tr- like you, once you give yourself 10 years to like, you know, do the work, and then you'll see where you stack up in terms of your competitiveness. And then you'll know where you really need to start working and whether it's going to be worth it. Right. It doesn't matter that you're like that you're 40. Like, let's say you, if you started when you were 30 and you do 10 years, you could be pretty f- freaking awesome and competing with that person who was competing since they were 10. Right. The whole goal is just to come into the sport with your with your talent and commitment and see what you can do. Right. Don't apologize that you're old. Like, who cares? That's you finally got around to it when you got around to it. And I mean, that would be my advice to new professionals that are coming through an age group and age groupers that just want they want to race age group. And they're like 40 years old and getting started. And they're looking at all these people with their fancy tight onesies and whatever, like worried that they're not, you know, fast enough yet. Wait till you're 50. You're going to be awesome. Right. You got 10 years keep at it because one day you're going to be the one in the tight onesie strutting around going really fast. And then, you know, you're going to be inspiring a 40 year old as well. So that I, I think that th- there's too much focus on age because of society valuing and, um, and valuing and highlighting and, and idolizing youth that I think that we need to start to look at what the benefits are of age, wisdom, and experience and, and how inspiring that can be because, you know, you're in a different place when, when you're older. And I I think that it should be just, just like this. I I really do think that it should be celebrated a little bit more than it is. Because again, we need to go back and you need to put in the show notes, that thing about the last fuckable day, right? Remember that? I don't I think I remember that. I know. I don't remember that. I don't know how I that was from it. the last one. So, so look at like now it's not. No, instead of it being my last fuckable day in Ironman, now I'm like suddenly I'm I'm getting I I'm getting the Oscar instead, right at fifty. Yeah. Whereas at forty, it was my last fuckable day. So yeah, I think that that and I that's probably ten years old. That video maybe it's got I don't know maybe not that old, but I mean it's it like. That was, that's kind of the seismic shift in, in this. And I think it's just a smart marketing move from a sponsor perspective, because like the demographic for the sport is older. We don't want to be set Mm -hmm. sail on our last fuckable day at 50. We want to be like starting to kick ass and take names at 50. 
we are definitely going to have to pull that for, for show notes. So uh, <laughs> listeners watch for that. And now last season you raced three iron distance races, three 70.3s, potentially more. I couldn't dig up because you are quite versatile. And so I wouldn't be surprised if you had Xterra gravel racing or whatever also in that season. Do you plan to, you know, you mentioned that like you actually are doing great kind of managing more volume and racing and stuff like that. Do you plan to race a lot going into Kona this year? Have you decided, or are you going to kind of focus on a training block now that you have the spot? Oh uh, yeah. I'm going to race again. Um, so I'm going to go to Oregon where like in, I, I, I made some changes to um, my bike position. Cause I was like really unstable and I hurt my back and I was like twisted into a pretzel in the race. So I'm going to go to Oregon just to try a new bike position. I'm probably going to get my doors blown off, but it's going to be fun. Um, so I'm going to race Oregon in a week. Uh, and then I'm going to race Maryland. So, um, I, I wanted to stay true to the original goals, even though Kona's on there, um, I'm still going to go after potentially the sub nine and a win. So I'm going to race Ironman Maryland this year, a, a month out from, uh, from Kona. So I'm going to do one more, um, and I'm going to test that month out sort of window with Oregon next week. And we'll see how terrible that's going to feel. <laughs> I I love this because you did mention that you have things on your list that you still want to accomplish. And one of those is the Ironman win. Sounds like sub nine is another one. Is there anything else? And and how does that, that motivate you in your training? Uh, yeah. So I, I think you, you have to have a, a dangly carrot, something that is going to push you to, to levels and to try things and, and learn things that you, you don't already have, you know, I, I think there has to be a purpose. Um, and so, um, most of, most of what I think is going to create that, you know, those next two goals, which are a W and a sub nine are related to, um, improving my ability to, to run a marathon. Right. And so there, I think that that is the, the last bit of my race that would, if I tighten that up quite a bit, then, you know, there's a lot of time there to, to be made. So, um, experimenting with different methods to find that, um, is useful information for me as a coach. Cause I, I'm still largely like, I don't have like a set playbook that I go out for each race and, and this is what I do. And then I execute a race. Like it's every time I go into a race, I'm trying something slightly different or, a modified version of something that I thought would work. Um, and then by doing so, I'm starting to figure out what doesn't work. And, and I think that that um, learning from failure, you know, is, is powerful because you generally don't forget. Sometimes I've actually fallen in the same hole twice. So sometimes <laughs> I need to learn it twice. But um, I think that by, by continuing to do that, I'm staying true to what the values were in racing to start with, which is you know, like to get better and better. Um, and I think that's also the context of why Kona was, was valuable to me because originally I didn't want to go to Kona because, because look, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm very aware of like how fast I am relative to like on a hug, right? Like I totally know how fast those girls are. And so, um, like originally I was like, well, I, do I really need to be at a world championships for Ironman? I'm in a, I'm in a learning stage myself. Um, but then in 2019, I, I was coaching people that were going, like I'd coach people, they'd qualify, they're going, I've never been, 
right? So here I'm getting people there. I'm making my best guess on how they can heat acclimate. I don't know what it's like to be on the pier. I don't know what that swims like. I don't know what the, the, the massive amount of like, you know, nervous energy and skinny bodies does to athletes at that race. And I want to have that knowledge to say, okay, here's some good ways to like calm yourself down. Here's a, a good place to go for your ride, to stay away. You know, like just understand the venue. And, and so that's why I could just go there. Right. But then I was like, no, I'm going to, I need to go and do. <laughs> so, um, so that's, that's the, the total, you know, reason to go, but then at the same time, it, it's, it's not, a, it's not as much a performance goal for me because I know that for me, it's going to be survival. <laughs> I think I'm, I, I like, a really hot race like that. I, I really, honestly, I've, I woke up unconscious in the med tent twice at the Xterra world. So it's, it's a difficult challenge for me, like the really hot, humid conditions. So I'm going to pull out, you know, every, you know, heat acclimation tool that we have, which weren't available in the Xterra days. So I, I, I think that I can probably be better than that, but do I expect to like knock it out of the park at Kona? No, no. Will you have athletes racing there with you? I do. I actually, I have one athlete that just qualified as well. So, and she just turned 50 as well. So oh. yeah. So there's two Malarad 50 year old babes taking it on. So that'll be very cool. Yeah. It's Jen Temperley. She's gonna, she's gonna be there. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And uh, Mel, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but I want to maybe wrap up with some advice for our listeners who are kind of, you know, trying to balance the aging process with their training and all of that. And if you look at your Instagram, um, you do, it seems like a fair bit of like activation, running drills, et cetera. Like you're paying attention to the little things right in your day-to-day -day training, but it also sounds like you are training for Ironman with a pretty high volume, right? You're not doing like an eight hour Ironman plan here. So how, and you have an extensive coaching business that is I'm sure time consuming. Right. And so how do you kind of, you know, advise an older athlete who might be looking at their time and maybe it's not super limited but it's limited to an extent it always is with Ironman training right of like what extras to include so do you prioritize activation and running drills and things you know would you shorten the run to include 10 minutes you know of that um you know I guess maybe talk a little bit about how you approach that yeah. So I think, I think a lot of the running drills and the, and the running technique stuff, I I'm, I'm really adamant that that will make a larger difference to your running than pretty much anything else. But in order for me to affect change in that, I ask athletes to come to me at a camp. Like we actually need to work on it together where I look at them and I help them. And we, we start to like unravel, like what's going on with the landing mechanics, because and especially if an, if an athlete is consistently getting injured, then we do like a full on like assessment and we change it over zoom. Like I do a lot of consultation where we, we work on what's going on with your mechanics for real. And, um, let's like implement these changes that will help you to land better because that's where most running injuries come from are incorrect landings. Um, but so so then the, 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 the things that I'm doing are to develop, um, better elasticity. Cause, um, as we discussed before, for me, it's actually my top speed, like my actual, like, um, 
my speed potential is is a bit low relative to my durability and so trying to get that speed potential up i'm really working on um ground contact and elasticity and and that's why i do a lot of that stuff for other athletes i would rather they they worked on that kind of stuff than do some stupid easy run like i think a 30 minute recovery run is you know maybe it like allows some sweating and sweat sweat like stress release or whatever, but is it going to really affect change in your overall running? No. So like that, the, that type of run that I put in, um, that you saw me doing, they'll do as, you know, as an adjunct to their program, instead of something that would be an easy 30 minute run in their week. Right. Um, depending on the, on the physiology of an athlete, um, doing like some strides and, and short sprints, if you're really like highly, you know, flat, fast twitch, like, wound up athlete, which there are some that are, are racing Ironman, um, that can be tiring. So you need to like find out where you put it, but most athletes that are super slow twitch and can't really like sprint that much. Um, it's a pretty low neuromuscular load. So it, it becomes like almost like an activation session for them. So, so yeah, so I, I do that. And then, um, I think that, and so that's what, that's one thing I would say is that running is a skill. If you don't know how to run, you should get someone to teach you. Okay. That's number one. And then number two is there's a lot of information on the internet about lifting, um, lifting heavy, right. And, and weightlifting is a skill. And if you have never weightlifted before, um, you need to acquire that skill over time and you need a coach for it. And you will probably get a lot of the benefits for like from a menopausal perspective, on short 10 minute body weight segments where you're just working on really good technique, acquiring a squat where you can squat ass to the ground, um, learning how to hinge properly. Um, like, so doing good mornings and things like that. If you just lift your body weight, you're going to get the same, um, uh, anabolic hormone release that you would get from lifting something heavy. So it doesn't actually have to be heavy. So you're better off to do little 10 to 15 minute snack sized um, workouts. Like I, I posted a bunch of them in my coaching on demand library for my athletes, where if they have a recovery day, they'll probably do 10 to 15 minutes of the strength work, um, that it's an option. Like they get a menu of items that they can do on their, on their recovery day. Those little tiny ones, they, um, they allow the body to release these hormones, which are often really beneficial for, um, menopausal athletes, especially those that are trying to fit it in around all their other training. Like it, it, if you don't actually have a higher training age for weightlifting, you probably can't lift heavy with good technique. And then you're kind of wasting your time and exposing yourself to injury. So I think lifting heavy is a, is a progression just as like, if you're going to start running and then you add strides and then you start to build your workouts, so too should weightlifting so that you have adequate technique to like carry you through the heavier weights. So there's there's not that many that lift that heavy in my group because not everybody can access a weightlifting coach to do it well. Um, but I do think that those little snack size um, and mobility se se sessions um, on my YouTube channel, I have like a 30 minute mobility. I have a 12 minute mobility. You can try it. There's a whole bunch of free mobility out there. Um, things that you can do to 
that are like the also the the pre-kindergarten for weightlifting <laughs> because a lot of times the problem with weightlifting with endurance athletes is range of motion or like existing injuries that don't allow them to squat and hinge properly. So um I would say do the do the strength work for sure, but be really cognizant of what your level is in terms of you know how you challenge yourself because you don't need to lift heavy to get all the same hormone benefits that you would you would get from um lighter stuff and then i think the third thing is like like when i start working with athletes i i, I ask them to come in and tell me what their goals are and i think that the like most of the the, the men are 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 good with their goals like they're realistic and they're challenging and they have like and and they're good with like setting them on a timeline or whatever and sometimes the women come in and they're like i'm just slow and i just want to be better you know, like the, the level of goal is, is just there. They just don't see themselves crushing it. But then, you know, as soon as I'm like, but, and then we start working, I'm like, but, and then we start pushing them in that direction. And I love seeing these, these women turn into these ferocious demons, right. But they can't see that in themselves to start with. And, and so I think that's the third thing, especially like as you're, when you're getting older, sometimes you just lower your own expectations of yourself and what your potential is. And, and I think that it's, that, that would be something that I would work on with everyone is that even if you fail, right? Like, even if you like set this goal and you don't achieve it, like, let's say when you turn 50, your goal is to qualify for 70.3 worlds or like come top five in your age group, like something big, you know, like, or, or maybe it's like finish a 70.3, right? Even if you fail, you know, all of that time you spent like motivated and inspired to chase that goal, you were so happy, right? You were just, you were inspired, you were motivated, you were driven, you like you, you're, you're getting super fit, all those things. And you fail, you'll be like, oh, I learned a whole bunch of stuff. I failed because, you know, like, um, I don't know what, like I got a flat in T2 that I didn't know how to fix. I need to learn how to fix bike flats. Or, um, you know, I I got to, I don't know, I, I came sixth in my age group instead of fifth, right? That's only one spot. I, like I can go again, right? But but not setting a, a goal high enough that's going to like scare you and inspire you. That means that you just, I, I mean, your relationship with your your body and your, um, and, and that drive to achieve um, is way lower. And so I think that it's important to set goals that really scare you to, to have you really explore what is the outer limit of what you can do because that's what living is, is being like challenged and inspired and driven and all those things. And, and like, I think this sounds like everybody that I coach is like a hundred percent a triathlete, you know, that person that has nothing else and a hundred percent, that's not what my group is like. Like the one, the one girl that qualified for Kona, I just, the other day I sent her a text and it was the text, you know, like heart and brain with the awkward Yeti right? You know, heart and brain. Well, anyways, I'm brain and she's heart. 
she's heart. Like it's like heart just like off doing this. She's off with her son to run 35 K when she was supposed to do an easy run. And then she's like heart who's off like to do a super fun week with all her friends. Cause she is the most fun gregarious. She's a mom. Her kids are going to college. She's like, she's the funnest person in the room. She's not the like driven every single day is all about it is like she's like I want you to take this time that I'm actually going to do the training and make it count because then I'm going to be hearts and I'm going to go off to the lake house for a week right you know so these are like you don't have to be a boring one-dimensional triathlete to still like use the time you have to achieve whatever that potential is you can be a fun person and still be pretty driven <laughs> so I, I I just thought that that you don't have to be like that but still have high expectations for yourself well Mel thank you so much for coming on the show I've enjoyed getting to chat with you I think you you um have inspired a lot of athletes including myself I think you brought out the ferocious demon in me in the last like <laughs> 10k of that marathon I don't think you did that one on purpose but it, it might have happened um, but, uh, you know, you're wearing a hat that says rad, we know you're Mel rad coaching. I think that, you know, it comes through in, in everything you say that you are inspiring us all to have a rad life, you know, as, as, and there doesn't have to be a certain timeline. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing your stories today. Uh, thanks. Thanks Haley. And I just want to say, like, I, I think you're another example of somebody who's like really taking leaps and, and, and improving as you like, you're like, you've been in the sport for a while, but I think that's probably one of the first rides you've had where you've ridden that strong. So that's, a, that's you coming up to another level. And, you know, you're already an incredible runner with like, you know, achieving marathon standards for the, like the Olympic trials and stuff like that. So it's just, it's, it's great to see that, what what I'm saying is is true that you can get faster after you're 40. Other athletes are proving me right over over again. So um yeah, I'm really proud of you to have such a strong race. And Alyssa, you're still crushing it, even though you're you're kind of more in the FKT sort of trail scene. Um, but yeah, I, I like I just really appreciate having a conversation with with fast and um inspiring ladies like you. Thanks so much to Mel for coming on. And we are so excited to watch her go after some of this unfinished business at Ironman Maryland. Haley, right? Is where she's like heading next to. Yeah. To get that sub do. nine, go after that win. I mean, I just think that's a cool tactic and, you know, maybe get the knees qualifying slot. And so she has that for next year. Um, and then if not, you got Kona in a month after that. So pretty cool. I'm excited to see her race in Kona as well. I think you know, given her experience, I think, you know, Kona is a, a race that rewards experience. That's what I tell myself too. But yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for this March into Kona and, um, getting to celebrate all the, the athletes who'll, you know, some of the athletes who'll be racing there. We celebrate all of them, just more focus on a few. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm excited that you're There's back only in the so US. many weeks in the, in the buildup. Yes. Yes. But I'm glad you're back in the U S Alyssa. Congratulations again on that tremendous effort and enjoy these, uh, few days before you, go into surgery, which I think is going to go so smooth and so easy that you'll be like, Oh, that was great. <laughs> Thanks so much, Haley. I'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the iron women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron women is a production of feisty media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Atitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.